Morning. What's up? Glad to be here. Can I move this? Is that okay? Just so I can see you guys specifically. Okay. Um, well, it's awesome to be here. Um, Brandon and Jen and Trey and Jenny, everybody's like family. I tell folks back at our place that we have like a sister church in Austin. Um, brought my whole family down with me, my wife, uh, Cheryl and Allie McKenna, but McKenna is like really sick. And I'm going to ask Caesar to stand up because Caesar is a friend and he loves McKenna. Can you pray for my daughter right now? Amen. You know, the stuff we always talk about with Jesus and God, we always just act like it's just like separate from like real life. But like your dad and your daughter's sick. That's all you think about. We're supposed to go boot shopping today. She's been saving up money for two months. And I'm going to be really angry if we can't go boot shopping today. So I'm hoping that when I get back, she's ready to roll. Um, hey, this morning, I just want to share a few thoughts about incarnational living with you. Um, that word incarnation, Brandon just used it, did quotes around it. We always do that. This just means we're not quite sure what it means. Um, incarnation is just, it's the coolest story in the New Testament about Jesus coming to earth, becoming like us, moving into our neighborhood. Um, and there's another really kind of cool story about us related to the incarnation where it says, if you claim to be in Jesus, you must walk as he walked. And I oftentimes pose the question, what if in our idea of being a disciple of Jesus, we actually included that scripture in there? Like, would that be a game changer? Like, if you actually lived your life to try to actually emulate things that Jesus did as he walked amongst people. And so I want to give you sort of an incarnational word today called association uh, that I think is really what the incarnation is, okay? So that the word became flesh, Jesus became flesh, and he associated with human beings. And so... What does that really look like? Um, before that, let me tell you some fun stuff that happened in the last couple weeks back in Denver. Um, our little staff team has been, uh, we don't really have a building, so we meet at this little pub called Jake's in Denver. And uh, it's run by a gal named Vanessa and her partner, Amy. And uh, we've just been hanging out there and gotten to know them and their story, a uh, wild story with both of them. Um, they, uh, they always give us free coffee, and it's a coffee house. We don't know why. We try to pay for it. Um, and as I was talking with Vanessa one time, um, they have these incredible sort of like bar tap handles that they collect. I also collect them, so I asked her if, she would, if I could trade out, if she would maybe give me some of her old ones. And uh, she was telling me that she wanted to, to make one out of a gun stock, like a handle. And right when she said that, I had the picture of this 1940 22 rifle that my grandfather gave me that um, is behind my sofa in my office. And I knew that, like, I was going to end up giving it to her, but I, I wanted to take three days to pray about that first. So, um, But I finally drove down to the, 
the pub, and uh, I didn't want to walk across the street carrying a rifle, because in Denver, that basically gets you shot on the spot by somebody. And uh, so I called them both. I went in and said, hey, come out to my car. I have something for you. And so they both came out, and um, she saw me start to take this out of the back seat, and she goes, no way. Like, and so I gave it to her, and she said, you're really going to like give this to me for a bar tap handle? And I said, yeah, you know. And she goes, like, it looks like it means a lot to you. And I said, it does, but so do you. And we love your, your business and love to have it hanging there. I mean, at least I'd see it all the time. So if you cut it in three pieces, then, you know, I guess I'll still always remember Grandpa every time you're <laughs> pulling one down. So, um, so she took it, and, uh, and then she goes, hey, is there anything else I could do for, for you? And I said, uh, we started talking a little bit, but I said, I know that you guys are not open on Sunday nights. I said, sometimes we like to do little church gatherings and would love to use your, your place sometime. And she goes, anytime. Uh, when do you need it? I said, I, two nights from now would be awesome. We're doing a, uh, we had actually, Caesar actually came to Denver and trained us in what's called the story of God. And I said, we like to get some friends together and just kind of share the whole story of scripture and God without any religious stuff. And she's like, like, that sounds cool. I can, like, can we come to that? We'd love to open up, or you can just have, have the key, do it yourself. And I said, well, we'd love to have you. I mean, I think you'd, you'd like it. And so um, they, we sort of packed out the whole pub. People just in a couple of days invited friends and had about 50 people there, uh, mostly folks we didn't know, uh, mostly folks that have never really heard the story or maybe had heard the wrong story and tapped out of church, you know, a long time ago. And the idea of hearing about God without religion sort of drew them, I think. And so just had a really comfortable, natural, awesome time. And uh, we'll finish up here in a few weeks. But uh, that wasn't the coolest part of the week. Uh, the next morning, Monday, I got asked to go uh, share a little bit about that with my wife's real estate office. The backstory was her boss, a guy named Matt, lives in our neighborhood, who we've been sort of good friends with for, you know, six, seven years and really fairly focused about hoping that they would find faith. I mean, uh, Matt was always uh, very open about being an atheist, not being into anything. And we would joke about stuff. He would make jokes about me. Um, I always give him books. He always says there are different doorstops in different parts of his house. And, uh, and then I do stuff to try to connect with him. He, uh, he likes to go running up the Red Rocks Amphitheater, which uh, pretty much is not fun at all for... But I do that because I love him. And so anyway, so he was at our, at our house for a Christmas party. And uh, during the party, he flagged me over and he said, uh, hey, so I got a question. Like, what do you do if you're spiritually bankrupt? I said, just work on it. And the uh, party kept going. And I didn't really see him the rest of the night, but it kind of stuck in my head and my heart a little bit. Started to pray a little bit more. Um, and then I uh, went... A few weeks ago, Cheryl asked me to go pick up a file at the office for her. So I ran by. It was a brand-new office. I knew Matt had uh, put a ton of money into this very high-end place. So I go walking in. I get Cheryl's file, and then I asked the secretary. I said, hey, is Matt in? And she kind of rolls her eyes and goes, yeah, he's, he's in his office. So I thought, well, that's weird. And so I peeked my head around the corner, and Matt's just sitting behind this beautiful, you know, ornate desk, and he looks really depressed. So I, I said, hey, how's it going? Like, what's wrong? He's like, uh, you remember that spiritual bankruptcy thing? I said, yeah. He goes, yeah. So you're not making a lot of movement on that? And uh, 
asked if I could come sit down. He goes, yeah, sure. And so we started to talk. And uh, he goes, you know, my kids are asking me stuff about God. Like, I don't, I, I have nothing to say. And um, so I told him about the story of God we were doing at Jake's, which is right where their other office is. So he knew Jake's, he knew Amy, and he, know, he knew everybody there. And I said, we're just telling the story of God without any religious stuff. So why don't I just do that for you? And he goes, that sounds about right. Let's do that. So then eventually, long story short, he walked me through the whole office and he said, here, look, here's my wine cellar. Let's use this place. And then so next, so then Monday, go, come on. It's really awkward, isn't it? Dang it. Dang it. I love it. You were moving fast, bro. Good job. Hat maker. So anyway, that's awesome. Um, So Monday, okay, uh, the Monday after the first story of God at Jake's, uh, I go into the real estate office, and he invites me in front of all the staff. He has like this sort of, you know, twice a month big meeting. All all the reps from all over the the city come. And he goes, okay, so he did some preliminary stuff about real estate. He goes, okay, now this is going to be weird. Um, he goes, uh, y'all know that I'm the least religious person like among us. Right. And then he actually goes, actually, I'm not even irreligious. Like I've no, I'm a religious. I have no religion at all. And so now everybody's kind of chuckling, but kind of like, where is he going with this? And, uh, he goes, look, I told Cheryl's husband, Hugh, a few months ago that I was spiritually bankrupt. This is exactly what he says. And he goes, Hugh said that he could help me. And so he's going to tell the story of God. Uh, and my wife and I are going to do that with Hugh and Cheryl here in a couple weeks. So I just wanted him to tell you what that was. And maybe some of you would like to come do it with us. So I told him, you know, I just did a little two-minute presentation. So uh, most of the real estate agents, a little bit over 40, immediately signed up for that. So in two weeks, I'll get to go share the same story with them. I shared this story with another pastor friend of mine, and his response was weird. He got kind of angry. He goes, Halter, dang it, that stuff, like, always happens to you. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't want to explain to him the reason why it doesn't happen to him is that he's socially awkward, and so nobody wants to ever talk with him. <laughs> but what I was really was, was thinking was, it does happen to me a lot, but it, it's really, um, it doesn't just happen that there's been over the course of my life some things that I've seen Jesus do, and I've just tried to do some of those things. I think almost any of us could do this. It's, it's about association, about learning to live like Jesus. And you might find that if you learn to associate like Jesus did, that sometimes what you think would be unnatural starts to become kind of natural. And because you become more natural, and so people can be more normal around you, and your relationship with God doesn't have to be this weird, goofy thing. It's just something that you're trying to learn as you follow him. And so I want to share three associations with you that maybe if you take these seriously, might change some things, might, anyway. So first thing, um, and I'll go through them really quick. They gave me 12 minutes at Verge to do this, okay? And then they cut your mic if you don't get her done. So I was giving Stu a hard time in the green room about, you know, how would Jesus feel if you only gave him 12 minutes? And then he goes, yeah, but you're not Jesus. So <laughs> so just shut up and do your job, okay? So anyway, we'll take a little bit more time, but not much more. Father was Jesus' first association. He associated with the Father, okay? Just hear that. He had this thing between him and God that was very intimate. 
and he would say stuff like, he'd, he'd go, look, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing the stuff. Um, I'm not sure what that means. He must have had pictures in his head where he would sort of go, oh, I should go talk to her, I should go whatever. And so he wouldn't do anything unless felt like the Father was saying to him. And he said, I don't say anything unless I feel like the Father's telling me to say something. And then when he prays for us, after three years with his closest friends, he, he's now going to entrust this whole kingdom thing to them. He actually prays this way. He doesn't pray that the whole world be converted to a religion. He actually goes, I pray that they, which would be us, that they would be one as we are one. I'm sure he was looking up. God, is, you are in me and I am in you. I just pray someday, like, all of them would, like, have what you and I have. Like, the way that I associate with you, I want them all to learn to associate with you. And I think what I've found in that, it's, it's more of a depressing thought, um, is that I've learned it with my personality, I like to just go get stuff done. I'm a worker. Um, I like to stay busy. I have little checklists all throughout the day. I actually redo a checklist every day around three because I just want to make sure I'm getting down the list. I'm just kind of get stuff done guy. And, uh, and I've found that about 50% of what I do, I should really should have done. Like half my decisions I make are wrong. Like where to spend my time, what vision to go start and pursue, uh, who to hang out with. I just like, I get 50% of it right. So in baseball, that's a darn good average. But if you're only doing what you should be doing half the time, that means that you're basically wasting half your freaking life. Okay, this is not a good thought. There's a part where um, a few years ago, a thought dawned on me. I wonder if Jesus was actually speaking truth, that I can't do anything apart from him. That if I abide with him, that he'll abide with me and then... I actually can get some real stuff done. And so um, I don't know, like, if I don't associate with the Father, I don't know if I hear him say, hey, give Vanessa your gun. Maybe I just totally miss that. I would just go, oh, that's great. You're looking for a gun stock. And then I just go about the day, and I miss that opportunity. Um, there's other times where when I'm truly associating with the Father, I'll hear him say, look, don't say anything. You can see they've been hurt by church, religion, other Christians. Just love the crap out of them. And it's probably going to be six to seven years of that. So then I just love them. There's other times where um, you'll, you will hear God. You'll just sense a leading. This is just what I should do for them to help them. Sometimes the leading is, hey, say this. Put your hand here. Give them a hug. That's all related to how you associate with the Father. It really helps you to know how to relate with people. If you don't, things go bad. Okay, and So consider maybe a little bit more um, just quietness. Maybe a practical step. Get in your car wherever you start your day and give God 15 seconds. Say, guys, is there even a, any, anybody today you'd like me just to call? Ask him to bring a name to mind. I do this every morning. God, anybody today that you want, and all of a sudden, before I'm done praying, I get one or two every day. So I just do a text while I'm driving. No, you shouldn't do it when you drive. <laughs> and I book appointments. I know where my little gaps are. Because as I've associated with the Father, I've heard him say, you need to not be so darn busy. Have some space in there. And so when I know where my spaces are, I ask them, hey, can we, let's go grab coffee. Love to hear how you're doing. It's amazing when I drive away from those, I just go, 
Like that, they were waiting for that call. Okay, so just little simple things can make incarnation very natural. So give him a little silence. Whatever comes into your head, just try to obey. You may not at, at you may not know if it was the pizza you ate the night before, whatever. But if you try, a voice comes in, a name. Just go to do something for them. Don't try to go talk to them about God. Just go do something for them and see if you don't realize that God, while you're sleeping at night, He looks over you. And he sees people that are sleeping, other neighborhoods. And he goes, I need that to connect tomorrow at 2.38. God is always at work over our lives. So you don't, you don't just go live your life. You don't just go to work. The fate of humanity is resting all over the place. Legacies of families. And if you would just stop and be quiet and you would go meet with Sue... For the next four generations, something will change. I mean, it's that wild. So relate, associate with the Father. Jesus also associated with disciples. He had what we called friends on mission. So in this church and many other churches that are now taking missional community seriously, they're recognizing you really can't be a disciple unless you actually have friends that you go on that journey with. Friends on mission, not just small groups. But we have friends that we call, and we do the same thing for the same people, and we try to orchestrate our lives so we have more time together. And Jesus had that. It's a very interesting thing. Here's a bummer story with the real estate mat thing, okay? So the night after, um, or the same day that I had, you know, I went and talked with the real estate agents, Matt called me and said, hey, we have some extra seats for the Avalanche hockey game. Some of the agents would love to meet you, and so why don't you and Cheryl come? So we canceled some other plans that we had because we felt like that's what God was saying do. So we show up, and who greeted me was a Christian couple who were, had heard what had happened, that had been praying for Matt and Barry, and all of a sudden they came up. They were all excited, and we're like, oh, we're so, we're so bummed we missed what you had to say, but we're going to come to the story of God and whatever. And I thought, kind of cool, a little bit over the top. Like I felt like it's a little bit weird. But they're, maybe they're just excited. And then a few minutes later, I hear this gentleman berating Matt back by where the food is about, you just have to believe in the Holy Spirit. And it was so awkward. I walked back there to try to interrupt the conversation. And I was unsuccessful, and it kept going. And then uh, towards the end of the evening, he came up and he elbows me. He goes, hey, um, just pick up where I left off. I got into that Holy Spirit stuff. And my, my initial thought was, this man just needs some, some friends to take him out in the parking lot <laughs> and beat the crap out of him. That's what happens when you try to be a rogue Christian, a rogue evangelical, a rogue evangelist. You don't have friends that you can go, hey, let's pray about this. What, what, would, what would be the most natural way Jesus would interact with our friends? I mean, you, how many of you have had these types of friends show up? And you see God doing something, and you just go, seriously, that's... You were never meant to follow Jesus by yourself. And when you try to follow Jesus by yourself and do your own things, it's normally where you're going to cause the most trouble. Where I grab my friends, and we go down to Jake's pub a couple times a week. These are my friends, and we all are trying to love the same people together. And so we work with each other. It's almost like popcorn of blessing and 
just cool things that we do together. And we watch each other. I've been in other communities where we have a friend that is. They're just overly spiritual, overly dorky, you know, uh, overly aggressive. And you have to be able to go, hey, stop it. Like the friends that we're trying to invite into our lives, they matter to Jesus. Let's love them. Okay? So you've got to be in a missional community. I really believe that. Um, as the staff here try to get you into these communities, you might go, okay, what is that, small group, whatever. Just know that they're trying to help you to find friends to go on mission with. And that will change a lot of stuff. All right? So Jesus said this in John 15. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. So he associated with the Father and he associated with friends on mission. Last one I'll just throw at you. I want to read a scripture out of uh, Luke 7. Because it's really about um, the reputation Jesus had in his association with dirty, rotten scoundrels. What he would call the least or the lost. What we might call sinners. But who he really ultimately, he called his friends. Okay, and so it says this in Luke 37:34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Remember, incarnation, how Jesus came to earth. And as the Father has sent me, I, I now send you. So the same way I came and dropped into human condition, that's how I want you to come in and drop into the human condition. So here's how I came. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. <laughs> I love that. I just... He didn't come in starting churches and doing Bible studies. He came eating and drinking. I'm sure it was like milk and cookies, I'm sure. (laughs) And it says this, and you say, here's what other people are saying about him. He is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. That's a, what, what does that mean? It means... Hugh, all the times that people have come to you and have said, you shouldn't be there with those people eating or drinking that or doing that or being nice to those people that have that type of lifestyle or whatever it is, wisdom has proved right. You'll know by the fruit of your life when you die someday, the legacy of people that said he was my friend. So don't ever be concerned what other people think. Learn to associate like Jesus. And you don't get a reputation of being a friend of those dirty, rotten scoundrels, because you're doing outreach to them. You would only have a reputation like that if you were actually friends of those people, if you're with them all the time. Agreed? They're seeing him come out of the same saloon every night because he works a normal job like normal people. And then he goes and he hangs out with us. They're his friends. True friendship. This is interesting. When you have true friends, you have lots of associates like... Uh, in this church, you have people that, you know, you say hi to, um, might go out for a quick coffee, but you also have friends. And friends, I've, I've seen Trey and Brandon hang out. They got issues, okay? They actually have some severe, weird things. But they're friends. So they sort of, as a true friend, you ultimately let your true friends just be themselves, don't you? Even that's marriage. Your, your spouse is supposed to be your best friend. So you, you, you stop finally when you smarten up. You stop trying to beat each other into changing who they are. And you actually go, oh, this is, this is Hugh. This is Cheryl. This is my husband, Brandon. This is my wife, Jen. She, I mean, she's awesome, but she also, yeah. That's what you do with true friends, okay? Um, I have a friend that I hang out with. I've been hanging out with him a long time. Phil always sleeps naked. He's open about it. Uh... It was, you know, I brought it up to him, 
20 years ago. He'd be walking around the, you know, men's retreat cabin. I'm like, dude, put on some shorts. Like, <laughs> just know, that's what I do. And uh, as we've gotten older, it's just, it, you know, it just gets weird when you get older. <laughs> Thing, stuff doesn't look like it used to. You know, you know. Yeah, true friendship are literally people that you just accept the way they are. When, when you would have Jesus eating with people, eating meant that you were, uh, you were saying, I accept you, you're my friend. And so if you would eat with a tax collector, the Bernie Madoff, the guy that was ripping everybody off in town, that everybody, literally, if they could get their hands on him, they'd just kill him, dead to rights. And then they see him eating with Bernie. And they say, see, he's a friend of... Do you see the beauty and the weirdness of that? That I'm going to accept, I'm going to eat with him. And Jesus knew he had all sorts of issues, but Jesus must have known that to influence people, you have to associate with them. You wonder, well, Jesus, when you hang out with people like that, aren't you condoning their way of life? Aren't they just going to think that they're fine and they can keep living the way? Well, I don't know what Jesus, all we know is that he never condoned or condemned anybody, ever. And so if you were going to follow Jesus in the way of Jesus, then it would make sense. You shouldn't probably overthink that yourself. Just learn to associate, and maybe you will have a chance to influence. Maybe a conversation happens through association. And if, maybe if you don't associate, maybe you never get a conversation. That's clear, right? So here's some thoughts for you just as we go. Are we guilty by the same associations Jesus was? Do, how, how is your association with the Father? Seriously. Move all this church stuff, all this religion aside. Do you really ever take time to relate with the Father? Do you associate with friends that go on mission with you? Do you have any friends that you can really go, look, let's go do this thing together for these people? And then finally, would people outside of your faith call you their friend? Now, if you look at those three and you go... Strike three, I'm out. Okay? Um, This is not supposed to be a burden, and it's also not supposed to be condemnation to us, those of us that have struggled. Okay? Let me read the scripture in closing. It says this, John 5, 3. And this is how we love God. We obey his commands. And listen to this part. But his commands are not burdensome. I would submit to you that you will love to associate with the Father. And you will love to have friends that you can go on mission with. And I'd even say your life might really get fun if some of your best friends become people that don't believe what you believe. Okay? It's it's not burdensome. It's like it's time to actually live. So as I pray over you, which is what I want to do right now, I'm going to pray that the next half of your life can be a life of these deep associations. So let's pray.